Good morning. How we doing? Good to uh, see you this morning. Uh, as you know, we are uh, in chapter two of the book of, of Revelation. And so if you have your Bibles there, go ahead and take them out and turn to Revelation chapter two. Uh, we'll be looking at verses eight through 11 uh, this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there's one uh, in the rack in front of you. And so feel free to uh, grab one of those and and uh, take it uh, this morning. If you need a Bible, just go ahead and take it. If you don't, then uh, you can put it back or whatever. Uh, this morning, we're uh, going to be looking at the church at uh, Smyrna and what Jesus has to say to a suffering church. And I want you to imagine just for a moment this morning, if you were like at the Wandermere Starbucks or your favorite coffee shop here in town and, and you get your uh, skinny mocha or whatever you get. Well, that's what I get. But whatever you get, you know, and you have your cup of, of coffee and, and suddenly Jesus walks in and, and sits down across the table uh, from you and you have this opportunity to look him straight in the eye and you ask him this question you ask hey Jesus what do you think about what's going on in the church today what what do you think about what's going on in the lives of Christians of believers in this day and age what do you think he would say well, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his message of hope and encouragement and strength never changes. And so the message that he shared with the first century church is the same message for the 21st century church. And when we open up these letters in the book of Revelation and we read them, the, those letters that were sent to those seven churches, it's like sitting down and looking Jesus in the eye or him looking us in the eye and saying, this is what I think. Last week we looked at the church of Ephesus, what Jesus has to say to a busy church, a church that's so overburdened by activity, it didn't have time to love Jesus anymore. Well, let, let's remember this morning that when we get so busy, Jesus will come and remind us. He'll look us right in the eye and he keeps saying what? Keep first things what? First. And make sure that your relationship with me is above everything else. And so as we dig into the church at Smyrna, we're going to see what Jesus has to say to a suffering church. What he has to say to a suffering Christian. One thing we need to remember that Jesus says to us as we're suffering in the midst of it all is to look up and look ahead. And if we can do that, we can face the suffering. 
If I could have a wish this morning, it would be that, that as we look at what Jesus says to the church so long ago, as they were suffering, that, that we would realize that his words are just as real, just as fresh, just as personal today. My, my wish would be that you and I could sit back and we would hear these words as, as if Jesus was speaking directly to us. Be, because we all suffer. Some more, some less, but we all face suffering in our lives. And, and so the question becomes is how do we handle that? And Jesus is going to tell us some things this morning that will help us just do just that. And not only as we face our own suffering, but maybe even more for some of us as we look at those that we know that suffer. People in our families, people we love, people that we care about, even people around the world. Other believers that are suffering. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, I, I know that sometimes these thoughts can overwhelm us and, and sometimes we wonder, why am I suffering? Why is there suffering in the world today? Why is my family suffering? And it's like Jesus is saying to us this morning, I want to sit down with you eye to eye across the table and I have five things that I want to say to you. And so this morning, can we just listen to what he has to say? Well, what does Jesus have to say to us as we go through these tough times? Five encouragements to look up and look ahead when, when we're suffering. Go ahead and take your note sheets out of your program. You can follow along with me as we look at these five encouragements. Thank you. Five encouragements to, to look up and look ahead when we're suffering. And, and number one, uh, this morning Jesus says, I, I know. Verse 8, it starts with, and the angel of the church in Smyrna, right? And the Smyrna, there that word comes from this Greek word, uh, Smyrna. And I know that doesn't sound different, but it's spelled different. It's hard to communicate that, right? So it's S-M-U-R-N-A, right? And the Hebrew root of that word is translated myrrh, right? Which means what? Death. And as you know, myrrh is this bitter gum and, and it's made into this costly perfume and you get it from a tree in Arabia and, and Ethiopia and, and you cut open the bark of, of this tree and you extract the myrrh, which is used for all different kinds of things. An antiseptic, an ingredient for, for perfume, Psalms 45, it was, it was prominent in the Song of Solomon. It's also an ingredient in the holy uh, anointing oil for priests of Exodus 30. It's used in embalming, John 19. It was a gift uh, of the Magi at Christ's birth in, in Matthew 2. All, all different uses of myrrh. And then as we look at the history of this city, it's very interesting. Today, Smyrna is the city called uh, Izmir. It's the third largest city in Turkey with a population of about 300,000 people today. 
about a hundred thousand in New in New Testament times. That they export tobacco and grapes and figs and cotton, olives and olive oil. The the poet Homer was born, lived and died in Smyrna. That they had like these three centuries of of greatness, and it all comes to an end at, at the attack of the Lydians. And then, then you have this church that, that sits in the middle of this very popular, rich town. It had this great harbor. It was at the end of this big road. It was called the, the, the Golden Street. And, and, and it, it went around one of the hills. And they, they called it a crown sometimes because of the way it circled around uh, the hill. And the jewels in the crown were these temples of false worship. And they have the temple of Zeus, the father of gods, a general believed to be the lord of the sky, rain, clouds, and thunder. And along this golden street stood these shrines of Apollo, the sun god. Aphrodite, the goddess of love and beauty. And then this other one that I can't pronounce, but it was the god of medicine. And, and, and then finally, Cybele, the, the, the nature goddess. Then at the Angora, this commercial and political center were statues of Poseidon, the sea god, and Demeter, the, the goddess of corn. And then in addition to all of the false gods that are going on around Smyrna, they readily accepted Caesar worship. So in, in 196 BC, the Smyrnians erected this temple uh, to Diaroma. The, the goddess of Rome, and then they built one for Tiberius, the emperor. And then each year, the Roman citizens had to burn a, a, a pinch of incest on the altar to acknowledge publicly that Caesar was the supreme lord. And when they did that, they get this like formal certificate saying that this is what they did. And the original intent of this was simply to prove political loyalty. And then after they did that, they could worship like any god or goddess they, they wanted to once they offered the incense to Caesar. And the purpose of all that was to unify and to integrate the various aspects of the Roman Empire. However, this act of, uh, of worship becomes problematic for the believers there, right? For the Christians. And so many refused to do it. And so they were killed at the stake or, 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 or killed by wild beasts in the arena. And you can imagine the, the Christians in this city, right? They, they're, they're not a part of all of that that's going on. And, and so they felt like they were outsiders. They felt like they're facing persecution and suffering in their lives. And they were. And Jesus has a couple of things to say to them. And I think he has a couple of things to say to us as well. And so when you're suffering, remember a couple of things. First, remember Jesus knows what what you're going through, 
right? He sees it. He knows your name. He, he, he knows your life, your circumstances, every single thing you're going through. He sees and he knows about. Uh, I wrote down this week some phrases that will never come out of his mouth, right? Like, like Jesus will never say things like, I, I, I didn't see that one coming, right? He's just not going to say that, right? He's not going to say that's like shocking, Right? He's not going to say that. He's not going to say, you got to be kidding me or, or run that by me again. Right? He's not saying those things. Why? Because he knows everything. Jesus, who is God, knows absolutely everything. Everything you're going through in your, in your life right now, he knows about. You are not alone. Right? You may feel like you're alone, but you are not alone. In fact, Jesus knows more about it than we do. And I don't know about you, but that's a huge comfort for me. Secondly, the the second one's really a comfort. It's when Jesus says, I know again and again to this church, he's also saying what he understands what you're going through. Right? He, He not only knows, but he understands. He understands what it's like to be falsely accused. Why? Because he was falsely accused. Jesus knows what it's like for people who had power for just a brief moment of time to act like they had control over him when they really didn't. Right now, admittedly, that's a little bit different than, than from us, right? Cause he had the power to like, you know, strike back if he wanted to. And you and I may not have that power to strike back. But Jesus knows what it's like to be ridiculed. He knows what it's like to feel rejected. He knows what it's like to be whipped and wearing a crown of thorns put on his head. And he knows what it's like to go to a cross. And so there is no suffering that you or I could think of that Jesus doesn't understand because he went through it all. It says in verse 8 that, that, that he's the first and the, and the last. And because of that, he can know and understand what we're going through on a daily basis. So I hope this morning you will see Jesus looking you in the eye and hear him loud and clear this morning. Right? I know. I understand. And then I hope you hear Jesus saying a second thing to you. Number two this morning is do not be afraid. And let me just read the passage and everything that... Um, I, I'm going to go through this morning is coming from uh, Revelation chapter 2 verses uh, 8 through 11. And so Jesus has these words to say, write the letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is a message from the one who is the first and the last. He, he was dead, but now he's alive. I, I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. Now, I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But you, uh, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. And so I kind of want to camp out in point number two here for a moment. 
want to be honest with you about this. You hear uh, Jesus saying, do not be uh, afraid. It's a common uh, thing throughout the Bible that God speaks these words to us. Do not be uh, afraid. And so the question becomes is what is how do we pull that off? Right. I mean, I know. I know a lot of people that, you know, get sweaty palms getting ready to go to the dentist. Right. So how do we pull off this? Do not be afraid. And trust me, I get it. Right. Don't talk to me about planes and elevators. I, I get it. OK. We, we all struggle with with fears at, at some level or another. So so how do we make this work? Do not be afraid. Well, I, I think when Jesus says, do not be afraid, he's not saying to pretend like suffering doesn't hurt because it does. Right? He's not saying if life uh, is hard that, that somehow we don't look at it that way. Because sometimes life is what? It's hard. He is saying that you can be sure that ultimately God will not let you down. Because these are real words and he's telling us how to live in a real world when he says, do not be afraid. Right? In, in a fake world, Jesus would say, do not be afraid. You know what? It's all going to turn out okay. Life is perfect. You don't have anything to worry about. Right? But that's not what, what, what he says. Did you catch the next part of verse 10? He says, do not fear. And then he says this, what you're about to suffer. Thank you very much. Right? He doesn't say, hey, don't be afraid. It's all going to be okay. He says, don't be afraid about what you're going to suffer. Right? That, that's a real world statement. He is saying, when you are facing suffering or difficulties, do not be afraid. So two things to remember about that. One is that Jesus when he says, do not be afraid, he's not saying don't feel anything. He's saying what? Trust me in everything. So some people think like not being afraid means not to have any feelings of fear. Like you sort of just wander through life believing that everything's going to be okay. And life's going to turn out perfect. And I live in this little bubble. When Jesus says, don't fear to this church, he's saying, to you and I and to them, can you trust me in everything? Can, can, can you trust me when life throws the very worst at you? Right? He's not asking us to live in denial. Because the truth of the matter is, life may not turn out perfectly for you. But he is saying, live in faith no matter what life throws at you. And you know what? I'll be there for you. Don't be afraid about what about what you're about to suffer. I, I remember years ago, Trudy and I, before we were married, we were babysitting this little boy who, I don't know, he was like 12 or something. And and uh, we decided, it was Trudy's full-time job in the summer, so we decided to take this kid to the beach, right? So we go down to Juanita Beach right there by Kirkland, and 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 he's off doing whatever. And, and uh, we, after a while, we realized... We don't have a clue where he is. Right? We're like 18, 19. We lost this kid. <coughs> Two options. We, we could have reacted in a way to say that, you know what? We're, we're, we're not afraid. 
we're, we're, we're just going to be in denial. Everything's going to be okay. Nothing bad's going to happen. We're just going to sit here on the towel and wait for him to show up. Right? Or we could freak out and go try to find this little kid before something bad happens. Right? And so we chose that one. Right? <laughs> but, but would it have been more... Christian of us, more faithful of us to stand there with, with, with no feelings of fear about this lost little boy? I, I don't think so. I, I think God asks us to recognize that no matter what happens, he's going to be there for us. But, but he's not saying don't feel anything. He's saying trust me no matter what the feelings are. And many times... Faith is, is the decision not to deny your fear, but to move ahead in spite of your fear. So, so that's one thing to remember. It's not about denying your feelings. It's about recognizing God's presence and his power. So that's what it means to not be afraid. The second thing to remember is to watch out for being afraid of being afraid. Right? It would be like after we found this little boy and got him back home and all that. And then we started to think about what uh, what could have happened, right? And, and then that kind of paralyzed us for days and weeks after that. Like we couldn't get that out of our minds. You know, he could have drowned in the, le- in the lake there. He could have been taken, right? There's a word for that. We, we call that worry, right? Think about Worry, and especially when we worry about something that hasn't happened before it happens, or if it's never going to happen, like in this case, because we found them, right? That's flat-out worry. I've discovered that God doesn't give me strength to face problems that I don't have. He does give me strength to face the problems that I do have. But how many times do we make up problems in our lives? Have you ever wondered where the strength comes from to face problems that you might have or maybe you never will have? I mean, I mean, I've heard people say things like this, like I was afraid of losing my job and then I lost it. And then you know what? It was amazing that, that after I lost my job, how God gave me the assurance of whatever I was going through that he would take care of us. So, so why should God give us assurance of circumstances that are never going to happen? He, he doesn't. And I'm not saying it doesn't like hurt when you lose your do- job. It does. But what I am saying is that when the hurt comes, God gives us the strength at that very moment. And this is what I think can be a struggle for us in America. We sometimes struggle with the possibility of potential persecution rather than the reality of persecution. We struggle with what might happen if I share my faith in the workplace, So more so than the reality of really what would happen. We worry more and more, and we're more fearful of what might happen, instead of just doing the right thing, trusting God for the rest. Now, now I cannot tell you whether you will or will not have to suffer persecution for your faith. But I can tell you, whatever you do suffer, God will be there to give you strength and power that you need in that moment. 
There's no question in my mind about that. And so how can I be sure? How can I build that confidence? Well, let me encourage us to start with the little things. Psalms 3, David wrote after he'd been chased out of the palace, out of the city of Jerusalem by his son who was getting ready to take over his kingdom. So like his son had all the armies of Israel looking for David to kill him, right? So now that wasn't like fake news. That was like reality. David's family had betrayed him. There were some tough, dark days in David's life. And, and here's what he wrote in Psalms 3, verses 5 and 6. He says, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I, I will not fear through ten, tens of thousands assail uh, me on every side. And what David is saying is that there, there's like tens of thousands. Of, they're looking after me. They're, they're trying to kill me. I mean, he had more to worry about than most of us do, I'm thinking. A lot of people out to kill David. And he says, you know what? I lie down and I wake up. And how do I know I'm going to make it? Because what? The Lord sustains me. And when we start with the little things, it begins to make sense. Right? I, I woke up this morning. Why would I wake up if God still didn't have a plan for my life? Well, why would I wake up if God isn't real in my life? It reminds me of the fact that God has made me, that he gives us breath. And when it comes to the issue of not being afraid, you have to start with the little things, right? I walk outside and the sun shines sometimes. uh, And I know that we have a creative and a powerful God. I go out on my back patio at night and I see the stars and I know how wonderful God is. He's more vast than I can ever imagine. And the reality is, is that you cannot argue yourself out of fear, but you can trust yourself out of it. And trust always starts with the simple little things. And in these few verses, they're filled with the main areas where we need to get back to the basics and the simple things. We want to have strength to face fear. We just need to remember who Jesus Christ is. John Stott in his outlines, he outlines eight truths about Jesus in these verses. He says he is, an, he is an eternal, right? He's the first and the last. He is victorious. He was dead and now he is alive. He is resurrected. He's all-knowing. He is wise. You think you're poor, yet you are rich. Pretty wise statement. Jesus knows things about us that we don't even know about ourselves. He is sovereign. He says to them, for 10 days you're going to suffer persecution, which means that 10 days there is a period of time. The idea of 10 or a period of time comes up over and over in the book of Revelation. He's in control even when they were suffering. He says persecution is a test, right? He's generous. He's a giving God. And when we face tough times, when you feel like you're about to be persecuted for your faith, maybe at your job or maybe with your family, it's in those times that we need to hear Jesus say, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer, right? He will always be there with us. The, the third thing that Jesus says to us is he says, I tell you. And anytime Jesus speaks, you know what, what he has to say. You know what he brings 
uh, to us. He brings light, right? Because he is the light of the world. And when you listen to him, you hear light. And when you hear light, it helps when, when you're going through a time of suffering. I need light when I'm going through tough times. And we're not left here to struggle with suffering and persecution and darkness. The Bible, God's word, is filled with light. And in these few verses this morning, we see some of the light of suffering. And it can be light just to recognize who Jesus is. But also it can be light to understand what's going to happen in our lives and in Revelation chapter 2, these four verses, we see four kinds of persecution or suffering that, that the Christians of Smyrna went through that, that really I think we all can go through. And number one is poverty, right? I know about your suffering and your poverty, verse 9. Why were these Christians poor in a rich city? Because they were Christians, Right? They, they've been persecuted economically and, and financially. Number two is slander. Uh, I know the slander of those who say they're Jews and, and are not. And these were Jewish people who, who didn't trust God, who didn't believe in, in Christ. And, and they would just like talk smack about the Christians. Number three is prison. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. And down through the centuries, there have been lots of Christians who have seen the inside walls of prison. Right? Most of Jesus' first disciples, the apostles, were in prison at some point in their walk with Jesus. Now, that is sometimes what we have to suffer. And then number four is death. If you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Well, what's interesting to me is that Jesus doesn't have a single word of correction for this church. All he has is, is this promise of, of a crown. Not all he has, he has, right? This promise of a crown, the crown of life. And I want you to think about for a moment with me, in our country, in the United States of America, which four of these do you feel like we face the most? Right? I don't know, maybe maybe slander. Maybe when somebody says something about you in your office or in your family and it isn't true because of your faith in Christ. And as Jesus brings the light to persecution of Christians that have been facing this for over 2,000 years, and probably we will face as long as we're on this planet, he tells us some things about the kinds of persecution that we face in these verses, but he also tells us the source of persecution. And this is important because it gives us some light that might be helpful. Where, Where does persecution come from? Well, there are four sources that they faced in Smyrna. Number one is the powerful Right, They faced persecution from the Roman government, the powers that be. And in their day, the government was saying to them, you need to bow down to and you need to worship Caesar. And when they would not do that, the persecution came. And they would be killed at the stake. Or they'd be thrown into the den of wild animals. And I got to thinking about our day. Like, what is it for us when it comes to the powerful? Is it the government? Is it big business? Is it the media? What, what, what is it that kind of, kind of 
persecutes Christians today. The, the second one is the culture. And maybe this is the one that we feel the most uh, persecution in our day. In Smyrna, they had the, the, they had this temple to the emperor Tiberius. And a bunch of cities fought for this temple and Smyrna won the battle. And so they were proud of their emperor worship, right? It identified them. It made their city special. They were proud of the way that they worshiped this emperor, that they were proud of this temple and, and the people that would come to this temple. And then there were these Christians over here on the side, right? And the prevailing culture had to look at them and they'd say like who do they think they are right this is the way our culture is this is the way we do it right we come to smyrna to the temple we worship this false god caesar right who do these people over here think they are sound sound familiar and then number three is the jealous and in this case, it happens to be from Jewish people of the city that who are jealous of the Christians who are successful. And oftentimes this happens from people who could have been or who are your friends and they end up being on the side of persecution, which is really hurtful. And then number four is the evil one. He says in these verses that the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. The ultimate source of all suffering, persecution, is Satan. And a couple of things to remember as you look at persecution through the light. And one is to know that we do not face persecution like millions of other Christians do around the world. Right? So you say, you know what? We need to pray for them. And then secondly, know that you and I do face persecution at some level. And if we don't remember that Satan is just as real in the U.S. as he is in, in China and Egypt or anywhere else, uh, we will let our guard down. And we will let our guard down and act like we're not behind enemy lines and somehow we're in this safe zone. And can I tell you today that if you're a, a Christian here this morning, you are behind enemy lines. Well, at least while you're in this world until we get to heaven. Right? So do not let your guard down. And even if you feel like maybe the government and the media is not attacking, be sure the evil one is. Right? Scripture tells us that he goes about like a roaring lion seeking what? Someone to devour. And you and I are going to suffer from that source no matter what at some level. And Jesus says to us, I want to tell you some things and I want to give you some light. And then the fourth encouragement is to be faithful, right? How, how can we be faithful in tough times? How can we know that, that, that you're going to stick to it when, when, when those times hit? How can we make a guarantee in your life right here, right now, that no matter what happens in your life, you will be faithful? You know what? You can't, right? There's no guarantee that we'll be faithful no matter what, because we are weak and we struggle and the reality is, is that if we do not believe that God is faithful to us, we'll probably not be faithful to him. But here the flip side is also true. If we do believe that he is faithful to us, no matter what, then, then we will have the strength to be faithful to him. But if we expect that God owes us a perfect life, but with no 
problems. I want to tell you, you're probably in for a big surprise. Right? And for a lot of Christians, when that surprise happens, you, you know what they say? That they say stuff like, God, you let me down. Right? You didn't keep your part of the deal. And for some of them, they end up with a very superficial faith. And they struggle for long periods of time. And so I want to encourage you right here, right now, this morning, will you settle the issue of God's faithfulness in your mind? No matter what happens, he will be faithful. Do you believe that? I mean, look at 1 Corinthians 1.9. God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. 2 Thessalonians 3.3. But the Lord is faithful and he will give you strength and will protect you from the evil one. So, so settle it right now. God is faithful. And faithful doesn't mean that, that, that God owes us a perfect life. Faithfulness, faithfulness means that you can trust God to keep his promises. And he didn't promise us a perfect life. In fact, he told us, if anyone who believes in Jesus is going to go through some suffering, he did promise, though, that we would share everything with Jesus. So, so part of everything is what's going to happen in heaven. We get to share the glories of heaven for all eternity. And I don't know about you, but I want to share that with Jesus. Right? But guess what? What else do we get to share? We get to share in his sufferings while, while we're here on this earth. Right? I like the heaven part. And that, you know, the other part, I'm not too sure about Right? And we all kind of feel that right way, right? But the truth of, of life in this world is that it involves some suffering even for us as believers. And sometimes it's because we are believers. And that's when we call it persecution. But sometimes it's because we live in this world and we make mistakes and, and we call that sin and we face that kind of suffering too. And the good news is that God is with us no matter what. And he has a future for us that is incredible. God did not protect, or, did, or God did promise to protect us from the evil one, to give us strength to endure the persecution and the suffering. You, you need to know about a man who, who was a member of the church at Smyrna. Very likely he was a member of the church when this letter was written. Very likely he was sitting there when the letter first came to the church as it was heard and as it was read. And, and, and some even think he was the pastor of the church uh, at Smyrna at, at this time. Eventually, we do know that he did become the pastor of Smyrna. His name was Polycarp. And, and, and can you imagine just being there listening to this letter in 156 AD outside of the city. He was captured by the government, brought into the middle of the city to, to the amphitheater before the proconsul. And he was asked to deny his faith. He was asked to bow down to Caesar. And they even tried to be nice to him because he was like really old. And, he, and they said, we know that you're an old man. And so just do it quickly, they told him. Right, Just bow down quickly and, and we'll wipe it all out. It'll all be okay. Just do it quick. And what Polycarp said is one of the most famous statements in all of Christian history. He looked at the government official straight in the eye and he said, 80 and 6 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. 
And how can I blaspheme my king who saved me? That, my friends, is faithfulness. What a great picture of faithfulness. And and God is faithful to us in ways that we can't even imagine. Life is not always easy, but God is faithful. And he will do us no wrong. And if we don't have that issue, issue settled, we probably won't be faithful to him. So I want to encourage you, settle it right now. The number five and the last encouragement this morning is I will give you. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. And in the future for us as believers, there is a crown of life. And I know there are times when what happens in this world doesn't make a lot of sense. There are times that we suffer things. There are times that we struggle. There are times that we see others that we love struggle and suffer and we wonder why. But there will be a day when Jesus puts the crown of life on our heads. And I believe at that point we will understand it all. So as I think about the Christians in Smyrna, as they walked down this street, the golden street, and they looked at these temples, and these temples were called jewels in the crown of that street. As they walked down that street, I'm sure they felt pretty inferior, right? They were poor, and they were weak, and they didn't seem very powerful. But, But here's what I want you to know today. That was not the end of the story, right? Who who are you reading about this morning? Now, not the builders of the temple, right? We're reading about those Christians who walked that street, those Christians who were, uh, that we're reading about this morning, that they're walking down today a different street of gold, right? The one that's in heaven. They're celebrating a different crown, the one that Jesus put on their head. And I don't know about you, sometimes we frame our world, and however we frame it, well, whether we frame it like everything is, is bad and dismal or whether we frame it like, like we live in a pretty cool place, whatever we frame it, however we do that, I want to tell you this morning, it is nothing compared to what God has prepared for us. When we realize what he's going to give us in the future, I think it helps us face the now. It helps us to build faith into our life in the here and now. So settle that issue today. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for uh, your word today. And God, really my prayer this morning is that you would help us settle the issue of faithfulness in our minds this morning. Help us to be faithful to you no matter what happens in our lives. And God, we don't want to be a people who just run when tough times come when we want to be strong believers when we we want to trust in you even when life is not turning out like we want it to so God I want to thank you for the future for, for what you have prepared for us Father we trust in you and we look forward to heaven In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen.